0: Hi, welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends, feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, the Minister of Finance for Ontario, Rod Phillips, joins us to talk about post-COVID-19 recovery. The finance minister is in a lot of hot water regarding the we controversy. The prime minister will testify soon. And tensions continue between China and the United States, now closing down a consulate in Houston. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Most new cases
1: of COVID-19 involve young adults. Come on, kids. Even Donald Trump is now wearing a mask. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott
2: Thompson.
0: Good afternoon, it is 12.09, it is 900 CHML, I'm Scott Thompson. It is week number 19 of the Scott Thompson Home Show. Willers, Erskine back at the station, keeping us on the air. Feel free to jump into the conversation. Lots of ways to do that via the website. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. That's where you will also find the commentary today. Same with the Facebook and Twitter pages feel free. Alright, as I mentioned, uh, the Premier will be speaking in uh, just under an hour for his uh, daily news conference. We've got the Minister of Finance with us now, he is in our neck of the woods checking out medical supply making companies. Uh, Rod Phillips, Minister of Finance for Ontario is with us now. Uh, Minister, thank you so much for the time, appreciate it, I uh, hope you're doing well. Yes,
2: Scott, great to be here, thanks for uh, thanks for having some time
0: for me. So uh, what are you doing exactly today in our neck of the woods and, and, and involving the medical supply companies?
2: Well, I was. We've been out, you know, with with stage three happening in Burlington and Hamilton and around much of the GTA starting tomorrow. Uh, just getting out to see the state of various businesses. So actually, just down at the Hamilton waterfront now, looking at uh, some of the supply chain, the important uh, fertilizer and other components that come in, and talking to some of the workers down here about how that's going and also talking about you know they're, bit, they're excited to see hamilton you know moving into stage three which means we're going to see some restaurants opening and other things but really just kicking the tires and seeing how the economy's going of course Medical supplies are vital, and it's so important that we make sure we have them if we end up with a second wave to be able to support our healthcare system. But, uh, but you know, good news with Hamilton and Burlington and Halton moving into stage three tomorrow, uh, but want to make sure that we're staying prepared and, and good to see the economy opening up.
0: All right, I got to play uh, devil's advocate here, uh, Minister. We've had many say that you know uh, you're spending too much time on hospitality industry, bars and such, and not enough time uh, talking about opening schools. Uh, are you concerned that you may be doing this a little too early, considering where we are? And we, we've seen, although today the numbers are quite low, uh, we certainly have seen a spike in the last few days.
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, today was just, just over 100 across all of Ontario. But, you know, Scott, we laid out a plan back in April and said we were going to do this in a very gradual way. And of course, there were people then that said that we were going too slowly, but we wanted to do it according to the science, according to the medical advice. And we've done that at every turn. Um, we have to make sure that we're very focused. Our, our Minister of Education was has now uh, talked about how we're opening up the child care. We should have about 90% of that capacity back, again, done in a really careful, safe way. And we'll have announcements in the next few weeks about, about how how school is going to be handled in September. But, you know, we have, to, we have to be able to do all of these things at once. Uh, it's vital that we, we get um, the economy, back open um, safely and again we've gone more slowly than really anywhere else in the country but that's because we wanted to make sure that it could be sustained. Uh, what we don't want to see is, is what we see south of the border where we've seen um, you know the states and, and big parts of that country have to slide back. Um, we want to keep full and steady progress and that includes making sure that, that we get the kids back into school um, but it also includes making sure that uh, you know that the hospitality sector employs a lot of people and that in a safe and, and really careful way they're able to
0: open. Uh, we're seeing this morning that, uh, and again, in, in relation to those spikes that we saw over the weekend, B.C. now looking to uh, maybe strengthen some of the conditions around opening in b- bars, whether it's uh, uh, not only the safe distancing, but you have to stay seated, uh, this sort of thing. Is Ontario looking at similar measures at all?
2: You know, well, much of what B.C. put in place is already put in place, uh, in our case, uh, the, the portions about being seated. Um, you know, certainly uh, in, in Hamilton and Burlington and in, in, in the GTA, the masks uh, requirement inside. So they're adopting many of the safety measures that uh, that Ontario has already put in. And we've also heard some other uh, suggestions from local medical officers of health and, and some mayors. Uh, again, there'll be situations where I suspect some jurisdictions may want to put some further protections in. But um, we have had the benefit of learning from what's happened elsewhere. And, you know, Scott, listen, there are two things that have happened everywhere in the the world that has opened up there are going to be occasional flare-ups. We had one uh, notably a few weeks ago in Kingston where we had a nail bar that was open and, and there were some issues and, and the Kingston medical team and the public health team was able to handle that. So we're going to have to know that while COVID is still here, we have the capacity to contact trace and to, to uh, you know make sure that we handle those things. The other thing we know is that fewer people come back than people might expect. And so um, we will likely see, if it's like everywhere else in the world, a very... Slow um, uptake, and, and as people get comfortable with things, and uh, and so that also gives our public health uh, teams that have done such a good job, time to, to adapt. And the NPC they're making changes. Uh, we've learned from them, that's why we've put them in place already
0: uh we're looking forward to the the uh news conference later on today as minister lecce will be there and hopefully shed some more light on this but what do you say to those and it seems like there's a movement out there uh schools not bars saying that you're paying more attention to that than the actual uh school scenario what would be your response to that
2: i think from the from the very beginning and one of the things that the province of ontario got very right was closing the schools early so at least put a lot of attention, and I'll give the credit to the Premier Ford and Minister Lecce for this, first and foremost has been um, protection and safety for, for our children. Um, so I don't think anybody who's looking at it fairly could say that there hasn't been a lot of time focused on that and, and that we want to make sure that we're doing it safely. Uh, there are other, you know, we can't just do one thing, though. It's a, it's a big economy. So, you know, we've been able to move first with restaurants to be able to take takeaway then to patios, uh, now, again, on the advice of our chief medical officer and the health table to being able to see them open inside, but with quite strict restrictions about how that works. So we know that there's places around the world, and even in Canada, that have managed to do more than one thing at a time. I think that's what people in Ontario expect. And, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep a very, very close eye on it. So I don't think it's either or, and I, I know Minister Lecce and, and our whole government is focused on making sure it's done safely. And, again, the thing is quite clear, um, his preference, if it can be done safely, is to get as many of the kids back into class uh, as possible by September.
0: Uh, Rod Phillips is with his Minister of Finance for Ontario. Minister, uh, we're seeing a lot, uh, or rather a, a high uptick, especially amongst uh, the younger demographics. Your thoughts there? Is there any sort of special messaging needed here uh, for younger adults?
2: You know, it, And again, it's very interesting that this has been the case around the world, that, that case. Numbers tend to trend uh, toward younger individuals. Um, we can all, uh, you know, we've all talked to uh, to younger people, and we all, some of us, can remember being uh, being 20 and uh, and younger and remembering, you know, feeling invincible. You know, we all need to be careful. Uh, what the progress that Ontario has made, and it really all the credit goes to the 14.5 million people in Ontario and the great work our public health people did. But it's been because we've been able to work collectively, for everybody's safety. So we just have to remember that. Uh, now is not the time to let up. Again, all we have to do is turn on the TV and look at what's happening in some parts of the U.S. and realize that if we do this the right way, we can be like some of those great examples uh, around the world where they're able to you know, still go out to a restaurant where their children are able to be in school um, because people are being careful. Um, if people stop being careful and we get a higher rate of infection, um, it's not what we want to do, but the government will have to start to slow things down or even move backwards. And, and we just don't need to see that. That's, you know, we are facing a very challenging economy. People want to get back to work, we want to see that be able to happen. You just have to do it safely. And that's going to be possible if we all, you know, take the public health advice, and, and that does include young people.
0: All right. Stage three for Hamilton and area uh, as of this Friday. How long uh, will we stay in stage uh, three? The premier alluded that this could be a long time before we get to stage four.
2: Yes, it really, it really, this is the point at which now, you know, 99% of businesses, and there are a few exceptions, um, you know, some of the like theme parks or places where very large gatherings would, would come together. But this is this is a stage we're going to be in for a while. What we hope is as cases go down, public health officials will look at the science, look at the modelling and say, for example, in stage three, we moved 50 people indoors as a, as a limit, as long as they physically distance. Over time, that number will be able to go up as we see cases go down. But it's that trajectory of cases, Scott, that's really the key measure. So, you know, we're making sure we have the healthcare capacity, make sure we can do the contact tracing. But as, you know, cases go lower, then, then the public health officials will feel more comfortable moving, you know, to higher limits. And in the meantime, I think people just, you know, thank you to everybody for what they've been doing and for the or the the way they have been listening to to the advice of of our experts and professionals, Um, we are on a good track. Let's stay on that good track. Um, And uh, and then I think, you know, we'll come through this well and we'll come through it together.
0: I'm not sure, Minister, whether you've seen the video floating around of Niagara Falls that's been surfacing in the last uh, day or so in regard to some crowding situations down there. How concerned are you trying to balance the business of this and the safety? And are you aware of that video?
2: Uh, listen, and we we've 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 always said that we would put health at the forefront of this, and and that is uh, that is what we need to do. But but we also do need to to bring the economy back. and We need to do it in a safe fashion. So so my you know my message has always been that these two things are closely related. And so anytime we see a situation where you have um, you know you have crowding um, again, local officials and and I know the mayor of Niagara Falls, Jim Beaudetti, quite well. I know they're working hard. That's a, that's a city that relies very heavily. On tourists, American tourists, and of course with the border closed, um, there's a lot of challenges for there. But um, but the local the local officials, including including here in Hamilton, um, have been doing a good job. Um, but. But you know, there's not enough bylaw officers and not enough police officers to enforce this. It all comes down to all of us seeing that it's in our best interest and in our collective best interest to, to do the right thing. And so, so we just we just got to keep talking about it. The premier does that every day uh, from his podium, and I know you guys cover that, and, and a lot of people listen on on your station. And uh, and we need we need people to hear that message that we're we're where we are, which is a much better place than many other many other places that we can see nearby because people are listening and I just ask people to keep doing that and, and, and then get out and safely enjoy the economy.
0: Uh, I know you're the Minister of Finance, but uh, I'm just if I can ask some questions in regard to what might be coming up with the uh, Premier's news conference a little later on today. And as uh, we mentioned, uh, Minister Education Minister Lecce will be there. Uh, we have talked to some teachers' groups who feel that uh, they're not being consulted. They feel there is no plan. Um, what do you have to say to to those that are concerned that um, th- that there is not a plan that they feel at this time, or that they're um, not a part of that in any way? There's no update for them.
2: Yeah, so, so as as, as you know, and, I, and I'm sure your listeners know, a, a month ago uh, our, our government asked school boards for their plans, and for for options, for three different options, and of course that's because we have to plan for the different contingencies and teachers. Are a vital, vital part of, of that planning. Now we've asked the school boards to give us those options, and and I know Minister Laje in, in the days ahead is going to be able to you know make it clear for parents because of course parents want to know what the situation is going to be. But I think you know if there's one thing Scott that the COVID-19 has taught all of us, and I don't care whether it's the 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 teachers' unions or the school boards or the government, it's that we have to be humble because, you know, we do not know exactly what the future holds. Um, We are all doing our best in terms of trying to make sure we're planful. Um, We're making great progress, and there absolutely will be a plan, but it does make sense that we get all the best information, look at all the experience we can around the world, um, and then put that plan out in plenty of time, which we will. And that, of course, will include uh, include working with with our teachers. Uh, they're vital to to and, and teachers that I know, and I do get to talk to many of them when I'm out. They often come up to me, and you know, they miss. You know the chance to teach the kids. They want to do it in person. Uh, they want the chance to go back there. They're also concerned, and that's fair about their safety and their and their students' safety. So they're an important stakeholder in this, and they're absolutely been part of the conversation. And you know, and when we put out the plan, if, if people have suggestions and better ideas, uh, you know, one thing that the premier has said is that you know everything's on the table. We'll we'll make sure we do this the right way, and we'll listen to everyone's point of view, and then make a decision. And uh, and then I think you know, hopefully, be able to see the schools open and, and most of the kids back in class
0: come September. All right, last question. Um, We've certainly seen through COVID-19 how uh, industry, well, as you said, virtually everybody has had to change, has had to alter. We've often talked on the show of what the world will look like post-COVID-19. Is is the government, is government nimble enough? Have we, has COVID-19 exposed that government just can't move quickly enough on on some of these issues that we've seen private industry uh, do a one eighty on uh, almost immediately. Will this make government more nimble post COVID nineteen? I see the premier alluding to that.
2: I think I think government needs to be. I I, I have to say, and and uh, I, that, that I think people in many cases have been surprised, and I'd say not just about the provincial government, but the federal government and local governments' ability to respond, but. You know, Quite clearly, we're going to be living uh, with COVID-19 um, for a while. The experience of, of this has shown us where some of the weak spots are, whether that's about our supply chains or needing to see more things made here in Ontario. Um, and, uh, and I agree with the Premier. I think government is going to have to be able to be more responsive and more nimble, uh, not just in emergencies, um, because obviously we, we want to move out of that emergency phase. But overall, and that's going to mean making sure that the regulations we have are, are written in this century or in this decade, that they reflect the world around us. Um, and it's going to be making sure that, uh, you know, that people, you know, have the flexibility to, uh, to you know, to, to you know, do the things they need to do, whether their employers or employees work in a way. I think we've all seen different ways of working. and That's going to be one of the changes is that uh, businesses are looking and, and people are looking at different ways to work um so government's going to have to respond to that and i think that's going to be one of the priorities for our government um as we come through this uh, recovery phase
0: rod phillips has been with his minister of finance for ontario minister thank you so much for the time be well thank you scott you too you're listening to the scott thompson show podcast on 900 chml finance minister bill morneau admitted yesterday that he and his family have made major donations to the we charity and then just prior to the meeting actually repaid previously unknown expenses uh, to the value of like $41,000. So lots of surprises in the testimony of... Uh of the finance minister yesterday. Here's a report from Abigail Beeman from Global News on all of this.
2: The way that the finance minister tried to explain himself during his testimony yesterday is that for these two trips, he says he expected to fully pay the cost of the trips, one to Kenya, one to Ecuador, both in 2017, uh, family Morneau trips. Uh, so Bill Morneau says that he had already paid 51, 52, excuse me, $52,000 out of pocket for these trips. And then they started looking through the receipts Recently, and couldn't find anything for the we portion of the trip. So, they contacted the organization, which told them, Yes, in fact, these were free trips, and the dis- difference was $41,000. All
0: right, here's what uh, the finance minister had to say This was a mistake on my behalf. I'm responsible for uh, any expenses that I incur on trips being paid for. Uh, this was an expense that I was unaware of, that I did not know had not been paid. And when I found that out, over the thousand course of the last... $41,000 expense? You
1: didn't know about a $41,000 expense? How is that even possible?
0: All right, let's bring in Duff Coniger, co-founder of Democracy Watch, adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa. He is with us now. Duff, thanks for the time. Hope you're doing well. Yes, thank you. Your thoughts on uh, the revelations of the finance minister uh, yesterday? Are you buying that he forgot to check the receipts?
1: Um, I think we need to see, as with this whole situation, all the communications uh, with regard to Morneau, right back to when his family started to consider these trips, and just see whether there was ever a communication from We Charity saying thank you for paying the $52,000 you've paid, that cost, the, that payment covers these costs, and the rest of the trip is on us because we're hoping you'll donate a bunch of money to us afterwards, which We Charity has come out in a statement and said they do these kind of trips where they cover a bunch of the costs for people who are celebrities or people who have a lot of money who might spread the word to lots of others about the charity afterwards or make a big donation. So uh if there is that communication from We Charity to Morno, then what he said was a lie. It wasn't a mistake. He knew that he wasn't paying the full cost and that it was a gift from WE Charity, and that gift is illegal. But we need to see the whole communication record. What the House of Commons Committee is getting are stories from people, and those stories aren't necessarily true, and only the full communication record about all of these contracts, including the $3 million that Morneau handed to WE Charity last August for a different program, we need to see all of the communications of him, anyone acting on his behalf, and We Charity right back from Morno back to twenty seventeen when his family uh, started considering taking these trips with We Charity. Uh,
0: as they mentioned, uh, I guess it's obvious with people who are well healed and, and go on these trips and make future donations to give them, uh, you know, portions of their trip for free. Is this different? Obviously, because these are elected officials.
1: Exactly, and it's illegal. To give a gift, the wording in the law, in the federal ethics law, which is called the Conflict of Interest Act, is that you cannot accept a gift that might be seen to have been given to influence you. That's a very high standard, right? Just might be seen, just have to have have the appearance that it may have been given to you to influence your decisions. And in this case, uh, the Morneau family takes these two trips. In 2017, and then in 2019, he hands the charity three million dollars. Uh, that's a gift. I think that might be seen to have been given to influence Morneau, and you know any gift should be seen that way because we know historically lobbyists use gifts, whining and dining, right up to major gifts, donations, fundraising, working on people's campaigns as a way of building a relationship. Psychologists call it building a sense of obligation to return the favor, to return mm-hmm. the gift, and it works. It's one of the major ways to influence people. It's one it's, by psychologists done clinical testing. It's the number one way to influence someone. Someone is to give them something or do a favor for them, because they feel yeah, guilty that they haven't returned the favor, and so they're more likely to return it in some way. How, so, it's a you... serious issue, and it raises questions not only of a serious violation by Morneau of the federal ethics law, but also the issue of whether he's violated the criminal code by taking part in these decisions after receiving this
0: gift. How obvious are these sort of laws, rules, regulations, uh, protocol to politicians? How do you explain the the laissez-faire attitude uh, of this government about all of this. Oh, it's a mistake. We didn't know. E- even the clerk of the Privy Council, you know, said something along the lines of, "Well, everybody knows that the Trudos are involved with a wee charity." H- how do you explain the attitude, the laissez-faire attitude? Is it is it they don't know, or they just think they're entitled to this?
1: Well, they Trudeau must know because he was found guilty of taking the gift of the Bahamas trip to the private island of the Aga Khan while the Aga Khan was lobbying him for tens of millions of dollars. Morno, I think, would be aware that Trudeau was found guilty of taking such a gift in violation of the ethics law. It was big news for a year. So unless Morno was asleep for that entire year, and I don't think he was, he would know that. Um, the law does not apply to 99% of the decisions the cabinet ministers make. Cabinet ministers know that because They're the ones who wrote the law, and and they know they've received appeals, and it's been in the news quite a bit, that the law is, I call it, the almost impossible to be in a conflict of interest act, because it doesn't apply to 99% of ministers' decisions. And Morneau should know that, because the ethics commissioner let him off uh, a couple years ago, based on this huge loophole in the law that makes it not apply to 99% of the decisions they make. Morneau introduced a bill, Bill C-27, to change uh, some things with regard to the pension industry. His family company, that at the time he owned $30 million of shares in, the company called Morneau Chappelle, mm-hmm. would have made millions from these changes to the law that Morneau introduced. And because he owned shares in the company, he would have made a lot of money. And the ethics commissioner let him off because the changes he made were in a bill, and they applied generally to the whole pension industry. And as long as a decision applies generally... You can be in a conflict of interest. You can profit from your own decisions. For example, Morneau could change the banking law. The banking law applies to a whole bunch of banks. He could have investments, own shares in all the banks. He could change the law in a way that makes the banks a bunch of money, so he would make a bunch of money. And it's all legal. So the law is really a sad joke. And maybe Morneau thought, oh, and Trudeau thought, well, it doesn't apply to 99% of the time we make decisions, so it won't apply to this we charity contract. But the WE Charity funding is specific, a specific decision. It only applied to WE Charity. It was money going only to one organization. And those are the 1% of decisions that the law applies to. And uh, they should know that because, again, Morneau's been in this situation. Trudeau was in a situa- similar situation as well. And other ministers, Dominic LeBlanc, was was found guilty of violating the law for taking part in a decision that would have benefited a company that one of his relatives was involved in. I don't know how they could not know this law. Ignorance of the law is in a defense anyway. They may be ignoring it because there's no penalty. Democracy Watch has long called for the penalty to be one year's salary, minimum, if you violate one of the key rules of the law, which would... One of the key rules, obviously, is taking part in a decision when you have a conflict of interest. Uh, And that would wake them up, obviously, because they'd be paying one year's salary every time they're found guilty. But that's all I can think of, is the law doesn't apply to 99% of their decisions, and there's no penalty for violating it. And so maybe that's why their radar is totally off on these things. What about the penalty negligence?
0: What about the penalty politically, though? I mean, again, third time uh, in front of the ethics commissioner. Yeah. How is this going to wear? How well, is this resonating?
1: One would, one would think that despite there's no, that there's no financial penalty, and you don't go to jail, and the law doesn't apply to 99% of the decisions you make, you would still be aware of this because there's lots of evidence that the, Trude- the Trudeau liberals were reduced to a minority government in the last election, Because of swing voters swinging away from them because of how dirty and unethical they were acting. Uh, with Trudeau found guilty twice of violating the ethics law. Morneau found guilty once for hiding uh, his French villa from his list of assets. And, uh, Morneau also, despite being let off for introducing that bill on the pension side, everyone viewed it as unethical. It was just legal because the Ethics law is unethical itself, with this huge loophole in it. So one would think they'd be awake to the the political cost of it. Swing voters, in the past 25 years have shown in election election at the federal level and and uh, provincial level, across the country, that swing voters will swing away from governments that are not clean. Because if you are not running clean politics, it's unlikely you're going to. Spend your time cleaning up problems in society. You're too busy protecting yourself and handing the public's money to your friends and friends of your party. So it's a a great cost because this is the thing that loses swing voters, as election after election has proven in the last 25 years. But even their radar is not on on that. It's really, what can I say? It's it's bizarre. You can't do a Vulcan mind meld. But if we could, if Spock actually existed and could do it, it would be great to go inside the minds of Trudeau and Morneau and say, what are you thinking? Because you're clearly not thinking the right things. You're, you're governing unethically, and it's going to cost you politically greatly.
0: Uh, the finance minister paid back the $41,000 uh, in regard to trips and such expenses uh, through the WE organization. Why pay this back now? Does this Does this change things?
1: uh no it's too little too late it, it it doesn't matter if you let people off for paying things back then essentially you're saying oh you know the the bank robber who robbed the bank just give the money back and we'll let you off uh that's not how the law works if it did work that way it would be that would be a scandal in and of itself and uh unfortunately the election commissioner has let some people off who made illegal donations just as long as they repay the money so that that enforcement at the federal level of elections law is scandalous. But the ethics law, I mean, the Supreme Court of Canada stated in a ruling back in 1996, if this ethics law is not strictly and strongly enforced, we don't have a democracy. So you can't be letting Morneau off now, three years later, for paying back something that, you know, he knew he didn't pay the full cost of that trip. He must have known in one way or another. And the question is, was it a direct communication and uh, how could he be so unaware of the rule that says you can't accept such a gift? And uh, I think he'll be found guilty of that. He'll be found guilty of sitting at the cabinet table appro- giving final appro- approval to this uh, recent WE, funding, WE charity funding. But we need a full investigation looking right back to 2017, his trips with with WE charity, of he, uh, Morneau and his family right through the amount he gave to the WE Charity in August 2019 of $3 million, and right through to this, cha- uh, this contract that w- we would have uh, possibly reaped up to $44 million of the public's money. And all the communications need to be looked at through that whole last three, uh, three-and-a-half-year period by the Auditor General, the Ethics Commissioner, and the RCMP. And only when that is fully disclosed and all those communications looked at will we be closer to knowing the truth getting past the stories people are telling the House committee, and we'll know exactly what spending rules, ethics rules, and possibly criminal code rules were violated.
0: Uh, The opposition asking for the finance minister to resign, what's his future?
1: Well, it doesn't look good, obviously, when the finance minister is not even uh, keeping track of his own finances. So that's just really bad picture out there for for Moreno to be wearing not even keeping track of his own money so is he really keeping track of the public's money and doing that well um but beyond that i think we need to wait until the investigations are over maybe it's true maybe we charity sent them a bill for the trips and it was and they said your total cost of the trips is $52,000 and that pays for everything in which case, it's true. He didn't know that actually it wasn't paying for everything, and he was misled by We Charity. But that's why all the communications need to be looked at, because we're getting stories from people. We're going to get more stories from the prime minister and the prime minister's chief of staff, Katie Telford, and the, the Kielberger brothers, the co-founders of We Ch- uh, are going to be there next week at the committee. And they'll all be telling stories generally to make themselves look good and excuse what's gone on. But that doesn't mean their stories are true. A full and complete investigation by the Auditor General, Ethics Commissioner, and RCMP are needed uh, to determine the truth. And until that happens, then we won't be closer to the truth. And if it doesn't happen, it's a cover-up.
0: You talked about uh, the prime minister and the chief, his chief of staff, will uh, testify next week. What will that look like? Uh, they are being questioned. Will the truth not come out there?
1: Well, the big claim that they're all hiding behind still, uh, and Morneau revealed some more details yesterday that showed that this claim. There's big questions about it. But the big claim is the public servants on their own, without even the hint of influence from anyone in any cabinet minister's office uh, or anyone who's been appointed by cabinet, deputy ministers on down who all serve cabinet and serve at the pleasure of the prime minister, that no one at those top levels, uh, acting on behalf of the prime minister or finance minister or any other minister, even tried in any way to influence the public service to recommend a sole source funding for WE Charity of up to $44 million. And they're not likely to vary from that line. That It was all the public service acting on their own. But yesterday, Morneau said, actually, Finance Canada officials were talking about WE Charity very early on, before even the announcement of this new student service program was made and that his office continued to be involved in discussions, and that he had a conversation on April 26th uh, after the uh, student service program was introduced by the prime minister and announced by the prime minister. He had a conversation on April 26th with with Craig Kielberg, one of the co-founders of We Charity, and, and that his office continued to be involved in the discussions. Well, that doesn't sound very much like the public servants acting totally on their own to come up with this recommendation. And, again, we'll only know the truth if the full communication record between Morno's staff, anyone in his office himself, and anyone else in the public service, any minister, the minister, prime minister's office. And that's why all those communications need to be looked at. Emails, phone logs. We won't likely have tapes of any phone logs or any video conference calls, but we at least need to know who called whom when and try and figure out how these decisions were actually made. And that should apply not just to the recent contract, but also the one where Morneau handed out $3 million to We Charity last August. Because there are big questions now about how that decision was made. And if he took part in that decision, he had the same conflict then as he did now, because his his uh, daughter was working for We Charity, taking taken these trips, he, he uh, donated in 2018 $50,000 to We charity. So Morneau, I think, is actually in more trouble than Trudeau now because he has these two amounts of money that he took part in handing out. And Trudeau, it's just the one amount of money.
3: Possibly what about Trudeau this? Was
1: involved in the three million dollar the decision over the three million dollar contract last August also, but we know if, uh, Morneau was because he was the one who announced it.
0: What about the finances of the WE Charity prior to all of this? How healthy were they?
1: We don't know. Um, There is a disclosure on the Canada Revenue Agency uh, of any charity's financial statements, but that's an annual disclosure. So how much they were hit this spring by COVID, um, we don't really know how much they might have projected they might lose. Uh, And then the private uh, arm, the business arm of this whole conglomerate, uh, which owns real estate, invests in real estate, and passes Mm -hmm. on profits to We Charity, is a private corporation. And so it doesn't have to disclose anything publicly, uh, other than, of course, filing its tax forms with Canada Revenue Agency, but those tax forms are are private as well. Um, So... We just don't know exactly where they were at, and there there are questions about whether they raised money, and uh, transferred any of it from the charity to this private uh, real estate division that that uh, is trying to make money to give back to the charity. There are there are questions about some of their transactions. They may all be able to be explained, uh, and we has issued statement saying no it's all in the up and up and these transfers were made for these reasons but as a charity you can only raise money for your charitable purposes and and for for furthering those uh, activities that are charitable you can't be transferring it to a private corporation to invest in real estate so the canada revenue agency should be investigating that uh, line of things to ensure that uh, the charity was doing everything according to the rules So you have that investigation, Auditor General Investigation, Ethics Commissioner Investigation, and RCMP Investigation. And if it comes out at the end that multiple rules have been violated uh, by Morneau, then yes, he should resign. Because Hmm. he's violated key fundamental rules that protect the public's money, protect our democracy, ensure that politicians are acting in the public interest instead of furthering their own interests or the interests of their family, their their friends, and, and friends of their party.
0: So Duff Connicker has been, been with us. Duff Connicker has been with us, co-founder of Democracy uh, Democracy Watch, adjunct professor at the University of Ottawa, finance minister Bill Morneau admitting yesterday that uh, his family had made donations and also paid back uh, $41,000 from a previous trip. The prime minister and his chief of staff to testify next week. Duff, thank you for the time. Be well.
1: My pleasure, and take care and stay safe, and happy
0: to talk further as things develop. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Tensions continue to mount between China and the United States, and really when you think about it, China and the rest of the world, uh, with the U.S. shutting down a consulate, uh, a Chinese consulate in Houston, and a San Francisco, uh, and the San Francisco consulate uh, apparently harboring a scientist who has been charged with one count of visa fraud. To talk more about all of this, before we bring in Elliot, I want to play you, uh, here is a clip from an official at the Chinese consulate. We need to be friends. It's unimaginable for me to see
3: any hard war or cold war between such a two big countries.
1: It's a disaster to two peoples and also disaster to the whole world.
0: Let's bring in Elliot Tepper, emeritus professor, political science, Carleton University. Elliot, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Good afternoon, Scott. So, Elliot, what's your take on this? Uh, The Houston uh, consulate shutting down and the one in San Francisco apparently harboring a scientist. Your thoughts?
3: Yes. Well, a lot of things are happening all at once. There's a lot of moving parts to this story. We don't know exactly what triggered specifically uh, the closing down by the United States of the chinese um, consulate in there's consulate general in Houston, which was the very first uh, consulate opened up after the u s and China resumed relations so it 's a uh, interesting choice we don 't know what triggered it, but we do know that uh, it is an immediately uh, it immediately follows the arrest in America or the charging in any event in America of two hackers of China who seem to be connected to the Chinese government who are hacking into what, trying to collect information on the U S progress and coming up with a vaccine and and how it's dealing with COVID. So all of this is a mixture of things involving espionage, involving uh, the biggest story on earth, which is the COVID crisis. And meanwhile, Does this help Donald Trump divert attention from all of that in order to say he's being tough on China, which in turn will become uh, a key element, I suspect, as of this time anyway, in the forthcoming uh, election? Who's going to be tougher on China? Will it be Biden or Trump? And Trump can use this as a suggestion that he stands up for America.
0: At the end of the day, uh, should not both the Democrats and the Republicans be on the same page when it comes to China, just like the rest of the free world?
3: One of the interesting things to me building up on this is that, yes, so uh, this will be a cross cutting issue in terms of everybody in America saying if we 're being uh, well let's back up a little if what China is doing is hacking into our uh, our meaning the u s efforts to combat the covid crisis, but it's part of a much broader pattern long standing pattern of the uh charges that china uses its uh, theft of intellect, intellectual property and that's one of the ongoing disputes and therefore we can't actually have Huawei for example because it's a backdoor for that kind of theft so all of these issues get all all tangled up together but beyond that I think it's a broader consensus is emerging that China and the United States are in some kind of an adversarial position that China is using means which are not acceptable over a long period of time this is a particular example of it and the us is now for either electoral reasons or genuine security reasons or some interesting mixture of the two is coming uh, is leading a coalition there's there's an increasing effort to create a united front against the chinese activities of united front activities in the united states covert activities against Against uh, in, in Canada and elsewhere, so what we see I think is an emerging consensus that China has not been playing by the rules that something has to be done, and we of course have very particular um, interest in having a much wider coalition against um, bad behavior by by China and by the way it's increasingly not China it's the Communist Party of China which is a more technical and correct way to view all this, Mm -hmm. because our two Michaels have now been in jail for 591 days.
0: How concerned are you that if uh, that Donald Trump's position on China, which many say is the same that all allies should be, uh, will be clouded because of the political antics going around with Donald Trump? In other words, there's a group out there that anything Donald Trump says, it can't be good. So if Donald Trump uh, is on the right track towards China, are you worried this message gets lost in the sauce?
3: Well, there's, there's a real possibility that, uh, to reframe it just slightly, that because there's a lot of suspicion that no matter what Donald Trump does, it's all related to his re-election. You and I have Mm. talked about this repeatedly. You know, feed the base is what he's uh, all about, and that he's trying to drum up any area of uh, his activity, which just takes people's uh, attention away from the fact that the United States is the global epicenter now for the COVID crisis. You know, people are dying at over 1,000 a day there now. So anything that benefits Donald Trump as a diversionary tactic, and this would serve as one of those, uh, is a political ploy. But on the other hand, we have genuine concerns. I think uh, any American president would, any, uh, any leader in the, in the world right now, has genuine concerns about Chinese behavior and how they are trying to supplant America with America's quite willing cooperation under the Trump administration's America First abdication of global leadership saying, we we want to be the foremost country in the world, and uh, Donald Trump is helping us. So all of this gets all mixed up and together, but out of this comes the increasing cooperation, perhaps, around the world in dealing with, in a more united fashion, the behavior of China, and that is a good thing.
0: Uh, Do you see more embassies, consulates closing?
3: It's certainly possible. The next one's likely to be an American consulate in China because that would be the usual uh, response. a a, a direct tit-for-tat, you know, you close our consulate. China has said that this is a a malicious smear and that the closing of the consulate is is a rupture, potentially, in in the relations between the two states, but they will have to act appropriately. So right now, uh, the five, depending how you count, where you want to count, if you toss in Hong Kong, uh, the five or six Consulates in U.S. consulates in in China are now, you know, one of them is likely to be picked off. Wuhan would be a pretty good guess, wouldn't it? Mm. Uh, Scott, there's an American consulate there, and that would be a, a, a logical one for the Chinese to close.
0: All right, this is totally unrelated, Elliot, but I want to get your take on this. Um, Donald Trump has downplayed this virus forever. Uh, we all know the situation around his feelings uh, with a face mask or face covering of some sort. Then all of a sudden yesterday, he does a 180 and says that masks are good, uh, the virus is bad, and all this sort of thing. Uh, we, As you mentioned, we've talked about the base a lot. How is the base going to react to him flip-flopping on this and I mean, I guess you could say, well, we're all learning, but this is six months out.
3: Yes, and uh, we're, we're just about at the 100-day mark to the U.S. election. It's about 103 days or now, I think, to the U.S. election. So anything you hear coming out of the Trump administration is probably related to that in some way. He's now saying masks are patriotic, and that's a very key word. Uh, he clearly intends to run for president at the minute. Uh, a re-election campaign that he's losing on the basis of China, which we talked about, but uh, also a tough law and order stance, uh, Portland, and all that. This is traditional Republican mm-hmm. things. But um, now he's saying now that the sunbelt Belt states, that is his core areas of support in the U.S., are undeniably. Uh, you you just can't can't close your eyes to this under under a resurgent. Uh, virus attack, he can't ignore the fact any longer, which, you know, denying empirical reality it runs into empirical reality. Now that it's hitting red states in particular, he is shifting toward, it's going to get worse till it gets better, but meanwhile pull out all stops, all stops to revive the economy. Let's get the, every child back into school. Let's get the economy going. Let's have a V-shaped economic uh, downturn and then back up sharply. Uh, let's get these, these miracle cures, uh, let's, let's have a vaccine by November. So there's now a frantic effort to not lose the base by denying the reality that the members of the base are now affected severely, and perhaps that explains his turnaround.
0: Elliot Tepper has been with us, emeritus professor of political science, Carleton University. Tensions continue to mount between China and the rest of the free world. Elliot, as always, thank you so much for the time. Be well.
3: Yeah, so be well to you and, and everybody
0: listening. The Scott Thompson Show. Weekdays from noon to three on nine hundred CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast, or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson and thanks for listening.